Shamrock, my ass. This is Andre Iskana, and you listen to Bay of Black Back to the Graveyard Shit Podcast. Uh, today we are officially welcoming our new uh, co-host, Rob from Georgia, aka uh, VHS eighty two apostrophe. <laughs> um, Will will still be showing up, but not as much. He's focusing more on his music stuff right now. So you know, we wish him the best. Um, like I said, he'll still be showing up, but you know. Uh, not necessarily as often. So, yeah. So, there we go. So, uh, what we're covering tonight is we're talking about The Thing from Another World as well as The Thing and who goes there. And, uh, you know, we'll get into that in a bit, you know, but we'll just uh, talk about some new releases and stuff going on and just all that stuff. So, what's been well, new with you? Well, how was your Halloween, man? It, it was good. I mean, I you know, I did the 31 Days of Horror like I always do. I actually found it a little rough this year. Um, I, I don't know. It was just like, uh, there were some nights where I was just like, oh, I really don't want to watch something tonight. Luckily, that's the wonder of uh, recording stuff in advance. You know, uh, you can have those nights off when you want. But, you know, there's been some good movies released over this um, this Halloween season, despite what some people say. You know, um, Exorcist Believer, good flick. Saw 10, really good flick. Five Nights at Freddy's, eh, it's alright for what it is. 
you know? And that's just kind of how it is, right? You know? Not everything can be uh, a winner. (laughs) Well, I got through my first 31 days ever. Nice. So that was, uh, and I'm already thinking about, uh, you know, next year. What, uh, of course, we already talked about a little bit. Mm -hmm. I don't know, the idea of maybe just going, you know, with a label or something, just something like that. It's certainly a good idea. Because, I mean, the problem I found this year for me was, you know, you're getting to a point where, like, what are you going to watch? You know, like, there are certain things you watch every Halloween. You know, you always watch Halloween. You always watch The Exorcist, you know. Um, but it can, it kind of can get to a point where it's like, well, I've watched all these movies. I've reviewed them all before. So what am I going to do this time? So, you know, something like a label month is a, a really good idea. Because it doesn't matter if you've reviewed them before, you know yeah. it's it's part of the part of the label. Like there you go. <laughs> something like all screen factor or something, or I don't know. Definitely, I mean, and that's the good thing about you know uh, physical media people. You know, um, these labels exist. You know, and uh, that's one thing we we should slightly mention. It seems, you know, that, like, physical media is having a little bit of a resurgence in certain areas. And I'm happy to see that, you know. Is it happening everywhere? No, like, Best Buy is, like, stopping physical media and stuff. But, you know. Uh, that's probably going to work out bad for them, but, you know, just saying. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess you literally have to either be in one world or the other. If you actually think physical media is something that has died out or is dying out, because if you live in the world of physical media, it is quite obvious it is not dying out anytime too soon. Nope. Not I mean, at all. Regardless of our ability to actually go into a store and, you know, which you still can. I mean, it's just yeah. some stores are being idiotic um, for whatever reason. But, I mean, you know, I mean, I still have, and I, I know you have the equivalent, but, I mean, I still have my second in Charles's and mm-hmm. warehouses and, um, you know, places like that that I can go into and, Plus, obviously, Amazon, but obviously all the boutique labels, you know, and it just seems like, uh, well, I mean, uh, you know, you're talking about new movies, you know, I just, you know, got the uh, Radiance um, release of uh, Messiah of Evil. Nice. That was, that is a beautiful, beautiful, it kind of reminds me of City of the Living Dead, uh, the Arrow put out. Nice. Uh, you know, the box is kind of the same way. you got the book in there, um, you oh, know, yeah. tucked with the, with the case. Um, and um, that is a creepy movie, man. That is um, – and it's an interesting movie, you know. Mm. But, it's, uh, you know, Radiance, um, you know, it's the only one I have from Radiance, but it won't be the only one I have from Radiance. Yeah. I have, I think – I have one Radiance release, and that was, um, uh, it's a Yakuza film, Yakuza, not, not Yakuza Graveyard, 
I, I, it's just out of shot, like, like view, so I can't see it. But, um, you know, I, I think it's a company to watch for sure. And, I mean, that's something that a lot of the boutique labels are understanding now. Like, when, if you release, like, an edition that is really nice packaging, really nice features and everything, people will buy it. And it's gonna... That is what's keeping physical media alive. And, well, you know, like I said, there'll always be a market for physical media. Well, it didn't take long for uh, Messiah of Evil to sell out. I mean... Oh, yeah, the the, the pre-order sold out, I think... And I think really, already really quickly. A standard release coming down. The they price. have a standard release coming out. Yeah, um, I think they still have. There still are some limited editions out, but you know they're more like for what's the word I'm looking for? Like for for the stores to sell, you know. So it's you know it's that still there. Like- that is something I heard the other day. Um, I have not been at our mall in quite a long time, but somebody was telling me uh, we don't have an FYE anymore. I've, I've heard that. Like the, the down there, quite a few of them have closed down. Um, I don't know. It, it's and the funny thing is we actually have one up here in Canada now. We never had one before, but now we do. So, well. I mean, I don't know. Oh, and one thing we we do have, um, apparently we have a Vinegar Syndrome store up here now. Get out. Um, Will sent me a picture. Apparently it's in Toronto. Well, you need to get your butt down there and... I do, definitely, because I mean... Take some pics. For sure. I mean, I love the... If that is the fact, like, if we do have a Vinegar Syndrome store, I... I'm definitely going to be heading down there at some point. You know, because Vinegar Syndrome is one of those companies that's expensive to get up here. Because, you know, it's always considered an import. It's always, uh, you know, you got to pay the extra shipping to order from the States and everything. So, you know, if there's a, a local option, I'm down for that 100%. Yeah, I'd be curious what the prices are there. Yeah. I mean, well, let's put it this way. I They they can't be worse than ordering from the States. Because you order from Vinegar Syndrome's website or whatever to, to get it up here, I think, if I remember right, um, it's like minimum like 20 bucks shipping nowadays. You know, it, it's kind of ridiculous. So, you know... We'll I'm take what we can get. I'm pretty sure on Blu-ray, I might only have three, three mm-hmm. titles from them. I might have some on DVD, but I don't know. Luther the Geeks, Blatty University, and um, oh, what was that other one? Um, that Mexican one. Um, uh, oh, The Laughing Dead. Oh yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I just have two releases. I have that Amityville box set, which is awesome. And I have, uh, I think it was 
Rush Week, I think it was called. I actually found that used from a... I think it was on eBay, actually. Pretty reasonable price, so I was kind of, kind of happy about that. <laughs> so, not only is physical media not dead or not going anywhere anytime too soon, I don't think, but uh, we got a slasher coming down the pike. How about that? Eli Roth and uh, some Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah. Man, honestly, I'm very hyped about it. I'm trying to keep my expectations low because, you know, my history with Eli Roth movies is I get very excited about them. Then I see them and I'm just kind of like, oh, okay. You know, um, so I'm trying to keep my expectations low, but I'm liking what I'm seeing. And you know, I'm thinking we might have something. If you play your cards right, you actually might even get a pretty nifty double feature. Go hit Thanksgiving and then uh, check out Godzilla Minus One. Oh, that would be awesome. I mean, and honestly, Godzilla Minus One is stacking up to be a bit of a game changer from what I'm hearing. Even Gareth Edwards did uh, the 2018 Godzilla in an interview with... uh, it was an interview with him and the director of this new one. And he was saying, you know, like, there's stuff in this new one that he's jealous about because he wishes he he thought of it to put it in his own movie. And I think that's kind of saying something. He's also saying it's, you know, possibly one of the best Godzilla movies ever made. So, and I mean, there's just something, let's admit it, there's something about Godzilla, like, at, like, in, like, the 50s type thing, you know, the 40s and 50s, like, era that just works, because, I mean, like, what are you going to do against Godzilla? Really? You have nukes. That's, like, the most powerful weapon at the time, and it literally, like, is what created it. You know, I almost got the impression from Trailer 2 that they might, in fact, do just that, try to drop one on them. Honestly, it's one its one of those things I could see them doing it, and I could see it, you know, just being a very bad idea. I was going to say completely backfiring on them. Yeah, it's like, we'll drop a nuke on it, that'll kill it, and it's like, they'll just make them stronger. So you got Thanksgiving. We've got a, a quite a seemingly quite an epic uh, edition of Godzilla coming down the pike. But oh, then yeah. it's going to get all topped off by apparently Art the Clown uh, seizing Christmas. Oh, that's going to be so good! I love the Terrifier movies. I really do. I love how mean spirited they are, and from what the director's been saying about, like, the opening five minutes of this new movie, uh, you know, where essentially no big studio would would let him do it. So that's why he went independent again. Um, I am definitely... I, I don't know what I'm expecting. I'm expecting them to be, like, to go bowling in, like, a maternity ward or something. I don't know. Um... He's a twisted character, and I love it. And to this day, 
uh, anyone who's seen Terrifier 2, you know the scene when, when I'm saying salt and bleach. That's all I need to say, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's so mean-spirited. It's so twisted. It's beautiful. <laughs> Honestly, I just want to see a movie, you know what, get Art the Clown in it, and get... um cast Richard Brake as something as well, and you would have a great movie right there. So, we hit three. Is there any any others aside from those well, three we know? Um, Nosferatu is coming oh, out. Oh, yes. Robert freaking Edgars. Yes. I just watched, uh, for the first time a few days ago, um, his short... Um, 21-minute short um, Telltale Heart. Oh, nice. That was freaking good. Um, wow. Um, nice. Yeah, that's... I can't wait for Nosferatu. That that could be... Uh, I mean, a modern-day classic. I mean... I hope it is, honestly, because, I mean... It's the sort of thing... Nos- Nosferatu's been done twice. You know, once in, like, the 1920s, once in the 1970s, and they were both phenomenal movies. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, on one hand, you got quite a legacy to live up to at this point, you know. This this is, this is, has to be good. But also, I mean, they're two for two. You know, so it, there's a good track record there for this particular story. Well, I mean, let's be honest, it's Dracula, but you know. Yeah, I'm sure he's going to bring his yeah. own interesting um, sense of um, storytelling to it. It's going to be... Um, For sure. Quite crafty. Sure. And, I mean, you know, I'm down for that 100%, you know. Honestly... I I just hope, I don't know whether there's been any word about it yet, but I just hope it's set in the right time period. Yeah, I guess we're going to, time will tell. That's one Uh, thing, you know, there there are certain stories that should be period pieces. Nosferatu is one of them. You know, that's that's just what I feel, you know. Like, don't go messing it up. Don't go bring it into the modern day and stuff like that. Same with, like, Frankenstein. Frankenstein should always be a period piece, I feel. When you bring it into the modern time, it gets... Yeah, I, I would be surprised if that happens. Edgar's doesn't seem like, um, I no. mean, just like the witch and, I mean... Yeah, he's definitely not afraid to do period pieces. So, you know... You go from physical media to some pretty awesome things coming down the pike, new things coming down the pike. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's this everlasting reminder of uh, be aware of what may be playing around you in terms of uh, old school horror. Because I just, uh, I probably won't get a chance to see it, but it's pretty cool to think that it's actually playing pretty much just down the road for me. And that is uh, in 35 millimeter, The Prince of Darkness. Oh, man. Uh, getting shown. Um, but, the, you know, I mean, that's also something to be aware of that uh, you'll never, you never know if you have a theater pretty close to you actually playing something uh, old. Oh, I mean, yeah. 
just saw, you know, House of a Thousand Corpses on the big screen, and that was pretty, Lucky. pretty, yeah, with a nice little intro by Rob. That was, um, nice. That was freaking outstanding. Uh, and that, that movie was, man, I don't know, just seeing that on the big screen almost had a, I remember just feeling like I was getting a little dizzy. I mean, I don't know if it was just the the camera, how the camera moves and everything, and just for the first time seeing it on the big screen like that. But usually movies don't – usually they don't do that to me. But I don't know. It was – that was kind of – that was kind of weird. But it was so freaking cold. Uh, just the whole underground layer and stuff was – to see that on the big screen that big was pretty wild. Definitely. Uh, I know over October, um, I missed it, unfortunately, because I didn't find out about it until after it was over, but a cinema near me was actually showing They Live. Ooh. I, 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 sh- I, oh, I wish I'd, I'd known sooner, because I would have gone and saw that, because, you know, any reason to go see a John Carpenter film in the theater, you know, you can't yeah, well. go wrong with that. Um... I really don't like the idea of missing Prince of Darkness, but um, yeah, I don't know. That's, but I mean, if it would have been, you know, hey, uh, City of the Living Dead is playing tomorrow night. I'm oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, yep, yep. Okay, cancel whatever was on the uh, you know schedule for the next day. Uh, yeah, we're there seeing that. Exactly. Life is uh, just ends for that. Um, Indeed. Or most Fulci films. Yeah, for sure. Nothing against John Carpenter, mind you. I love seeing his movies on the big screen, but I don't know. something about, yeah. Something Uh, about Fulci, though. (laughs) So, you know, sort of winding our way into the whole nature of uh, remakes and whatnot, I guess maybe we could start talking about what it is we're talking about. Yeah. For sure. So, yes. so how, how do you want to do this, man? I mean, like, um, ultimately, ultimately, what is the question we're asking here? Is there a question we're asking here in the midst of all that we're going to probably talk about? I, I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm just going to say this. Like, uh, you know what? You have here two supremely good movies in two very different ways coming from source material that's utilized very differently and it's just all around a good time I will say one thing I did do a bit back actually I watched The Thing from Another World and The Thing back to back double feature and um it's quite a time. I'll just say that, you know, because they're they're both so good. And so you were telling me you also, and I guess let's throw all this junk out on the table. Everything that we've kind of maybe dipped our toes into this week, but you also listened to the audio book version for Who Goes There? Yeah, listen to the audio book version of Who Goes There. It's been years since I've read it, so. I was just, you know what, I'll throw on the audiobook and I'll listen to it. Uh thoroughly enjoyed that. Also listened to the, um, who, what was the radio presentation? You, you sent that me a bit was, back. 
Yeah, that was uh, BBC uh, something chillers, um, but sort yeah. of a modern adaption, modern modernized adaption or whatever of who goes there um, into a rich drama. It was pretty good. Um, it was it was pretty it was pretty good. Um, I tried to actually, you know, I got the hard bound cover. I'm sure you do too of the Who Goes There. I tried to reread it, but I guess I just, I don't know. I was doing so many things this week, and I was at the same time trying to get back into just thinking about this whole thing. Um, yeah. But I did, I did, I did squeeze in two two listenings of um, uh, John Carpenter's commentary track to nice. um, the thing from another world. Um, I always laugh uh, when he mentions at the beginning his uh, he he starts off by saying uh, my qualifications are as follows. <laughs> well, I'm just an enormous fan, um, and as well, I studied this film at USC, and uh, and I paid an awful lot of money to be on this commentary <laughs> track. Uh, which that's now begs the question: How much did he pay to be on that commentary track? And um, if you guys don't know what I'm talking about, if uh, there is uh, there was a release of the thing from another world um, in the UK, and it was a two it was a two or three disc um, release of it, but uh, one of the film one of the discs, uh, which I guess is the um, as John says in the commentary track, is the um, I guess he didn't use this word, but it's like the uh, the only real uncut version of the film, mm. which his commentary uh, is a play, and it's a it's a Canadian print. Oh, nice! Which he mentions on there, um, and then of course on another disc there is a cleaned up version, uh, which looks really great, and then mm. there's a the um, I guess was it was it the unauthorized ver- colored version? Yeah, um, yeah. So that's so three versions. Maybe it's just this, but three versions of the film. But one with John's commentary um, track, which is absolutely delightful to listen listen to. And I'm so glad I saw that when I did and jumped on it when I did way back whenever I it is I did. But um, that's just something nice to have in the collection. Oh, for sure. And I mean, oh. I'm pretty sure that's like out of print now. I, I think they only ever did one run of it. You know, um, all subsequent releases, at least I, you know, that I know of in Britain, haven't had that on it. So, honestly, if if anyone happens to have a copy of that, and you know they're willing to uh, rip the audio of that commentary, I would definitely like to hear it. So, just saying. <laughs> so it's it, it's interesting in that uh, commentary track he mentions almost sort of at the beginning that um, there really he really didn't see anything worth emulating from that film in terms of his own film that mm-hmm. he was able to do um, with the exception of the title sequence yeah. Um, and uh, and he does mention how much how be- now imagine this he actually says on the commentary track that he wanted to um, he wanted to utilize Tompkins score or at least uh, you know a, a sense of that for his film um, but the, apparently it just didn't work out so um, 
Ennio Morricone became um, the go-to, which yeah. is probably actually a better a choice considering the um, um, tone of his film versus the thing from another world. Yeah, that, which, uh, that is true. <laughs> I mean, I mean, they are two really two very, 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 very different films. Yeah. Um, Definitely, and I mean, it's it's interesting, like I said before, to see something taken from the same source material and both play out so very differently, but still both be highly entertaining. Well, that's that's the that's part of the question, though, because the thing from another world really really took a, just a minor glance at Campbell's short story and then yeah. immediately took a hard left turn and went another totally different direction. I mean, yeah. in a million ways, really. I mean, that – in fact, uh, I, I was watching uh, earlier today. I was I had, you know, on the Arrow release of the thing, they have that brand-new documentary entitled Who Goes There? Mm-hmm. And they mentioned on there um, that, in fact, um, Campbell, which is so funny, Campbell actually responded uh, to um, the thing from another world mm-hmm. in light of his own story and um, said, basically said, well, it might make a good movie, but it's not my story. No. Um. And I mean, and, and at the obvious core of it, I mean, is the entire issue of identity um, was left in favor of a traditional, just sort of, you know, James Arness and the old um, monster suit. Yeah. And that's a huge deviation from considering that that is the heart and soul of John W. Campbell's short story is the issue of identity. Yeah. Um, and the loss of, and mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it, it's, you know, his, his mom, um, did you know, did you know the story about him and his aunt and his mother? Uh, no, no. So, so apparently his mom, mother and his aunt were identical twins. Okay. And, and he often got confused as to which one was actually there in the house. Huh. And unfortunately, um, the aunt did not like him very much. Okay. And made sure he knew that. And so he sort of grew up kind of, you know, confused as to, well, is this my mom? Is it not my mom? Why does she not like me? Why does she seem to love me? And that sort of ultimately down the road works into this this story who goes there um, <laughs> in, in terms of the fear of loss, you know, of, of our identity. Mm. And, um, of course, you know, Howard Hawks is, um, well, Christian Ivey gets directing credit, right? But Howard Hawks' film just completely, you know, I guess just I mean that that's one major difference. Mm. What's another major difference? I mean, there's a lot of them. Oh yeah, I mean, it obviously just takes the very basic bones of the story and runs with it, you know. And 
I can appreciate that. Um, you know, I... The fact also that, like, uh, the the actual story is very much centered on one location. It's it's an, it's an example of a closed circle horror story. You know, it's it's in this one location. It could literally be how how can I how how can I word this? We know that the group went off to you know to find the thing, you know, but. We never, we're never told, we're, we're only told that story in, in the novelized, in like in the book, you know? We're not there with the characters when it happens. All of our knowledge is this one location, this outpost, you know? Um, where the thing from well, another they, world, there they, are... They're telling us where, what happened. yeah. Yeah, you know, where the thing from another world is, well, for one, they're showing us, but, you know, they're they're showing us the rest, like, other parts of the world. You know, there's, like, another military base where the people are that go up there. Once they're up there, they go out and they, and they see the, the other, you know, the location where this ship has crashed and everything. Um, that's something that's left out of the book, and I think it's a good thing that it is because let's put it this way most books you know you have like uh, a main character who you follow right who goes there has no main character it could be argued you know the macready character yeah but the the we're put in, like, the eyes, if you will, of an outsider just watching everything going on. You know, we're not... We're not given the... We we don't have the role of the hero in, in this story, you know? Our role is just watching what's going on. So as a result, you know, the fact that we're being told what happened... We're, let's put it this way. We're not the main character. We're the side character who just happened to be there. And we're seeing all this stuff go down. So as a result, you know, I, I like the fact that, you know, we're told that this is how they, they found the ship and blah, blah, blah. You know? We weren't there. We don't know. And, you know, as far as finding this ship, actually, there is, I was thinking, too, when I was sort of um, kind of revisiting that old story, but there, there is, I mean, for the most part, they, they completely just, like you said, they sort of take the framework of the story and then they just sort of kind of do what they want to do. But mm-hmm. um, it is interesting, though, that they did put in that minor little notion that uh the ship is made of a magnesium type alloy that uh ultimately end up destroying both in the 51 film and the original story but in the original story it's much more intriguing to be told that you know that uh, how they're drawn to that magnetically to that location Mm -hmm. and when they do find it 
they, you know, what is it like? It seems like they dig down a tunnel, and as they're digging towards the ship, they uh, they actually run right into one of those one of the alien creatures just kind of floating there in the ice. Yeah. Um, having been there, what I think they say, like twenty million years, I, I guess. Like that, yeah. I guess, and but they ultimately had, like, you know, an axe is like embedded into its its head. <laughs> into its head. So, and oh. this alien creature, we actually do have a description, which is really sort of cool. This the three uh, red eyes and the, the blue, sort of blue skin, wormy hair. Yep. And this sort of the embodiment of this of what we know is hatred. That, that's um, something that I found really interesting when they're when they're going on about like uh you know who was it that was saying it um I think it was Norris that was saying it was like you know like that that its face is like showing hatred and it's like and is it Blair I think is saying like. It could be anything. It's like literally, it's not from this world. That might be like a a, a face of like happiness. And he's like, well, if right. it's happy, it's happy is like you know torturing people for for kicks, you know. And I I love that you know you know they've come up with this whole backstory that you know you reckon just just from how it looks that oh this it's this evil creature. It's definitely evil no matter what. So I find it interesting, too, that there's, like, three other, as far as they know, at least three other alien creatures just sort of floating in the ice Yeah. in that locale. That is never mentioned in any film adaption. No, no, it's just the so, one. Yeah, and the shape of, the, and the, shape of the, the saucer, too. It's more like a sub-shape. I know. Which that, is kind that, of that was, hard to think about. Yeah. I mean, you never think of, like, you know, you think of a flying saucer, you think of, like, a flying saucer, literally. Like, circular. So, so here's another thing. There's uh, um, there's no women in the original story. Nope. But Howard Hawks, you know, one of his things that he was known for was a strong woman lead. Yep. In his films, of course, um... um Oh Lord, she. Uh, what's her name? Um, girl plays Nikki. Um, Margaret Sheridan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, amazing actress. I mean, just. Oh, yeah. I mean, just uh, just an absolutely amazing um, performer. And, and Kenneth Toby, but it's not. That's not who goes there. No. But it's it's interesting because you know I often kind of kind of wondered and thought about. You know, it just seems like, you know, not, let's not even think about the 11 film, but, mm. you know, if you just think about the short story, if you think about the 51, and if you think about the 82, it's like every piece is is sort of a product of its um, own time period. Yeah, definitely. Right. So, like, you know, where identity is sort of, you know, a mixture of both Campbell's upbringing um, as well as being in the 30s and there being this tension uh, probably, I'm sure there's a tension that exists between those who are looking across the pond, uh, so to speak, and looking at 
what seems to be all the wonderful good things that are happening in Nazi Germany or fascist Italy or uh, mm-hmm. even the Soviet Union, and you know, and just sort of hmm. Maybe we should bring some of these ideas over here. And then, of course, the the other group that is screaming absolutely positively not. Yeah. Are you insane? And it just seems like I think we know what side of the equation John W. Campbell's on. Yeah. <laughs> um, and but th- So that's kind of interesting. But then, like with 51, it's sort of a byproduct of, um, of well, it's still a Cold War era film. Mm-hmm. But it seems to be more influenced by Roswell, flying saw people seeing flying saucers. Yeah. Um, and also, though, you know, um, the fifty one is very much, you know, we we've heard um, John Carpenter talk about like you know like the different types of like horror. There's like you know the external horror that comes from outside and attacks. There's the internal horror, you know. It's the, the 51 is very much an external horror. It's right. like this outside force that's attacking and everything. Whereas John's movie is, you know, internal. It's like, you know, it's right. coming from the inside. It's coming from one of us. So it leans, you know, into both both types of horror. I guess you yeah. could say. It's and it's interesting that in the short story, the you got basically a group of scientists mm-hmm. who are in effect. I mean, our protagonists—they're the good guys, mm-hmm. right? But in uh, in Hawks's film, the military are the good guys. Yeah, yeah, and the scientists are essentially. Yeah, essentially the villains, if you will. Yeah, well, as and, close as you can get it, you know. So that, right, so then, so so, and so then you kind of leap forward to eighty two, which eighty two, it seems like it's almost more of a byproduct of uh, post war, being post Vietnam society. Yeah, and so you've got these guys who, you know, for whatever reason, they all have their their different stories. All are sort of basically just very happy to live outside of society. Yeah. They don't want to have anything to do with society. I mean, they're just out there doing their own thing. And McCready being the, maybe the more interesting one who I, I, I've read, I, I, I was reading or hearing them talking about how he was, I guess, supposed to have been a um, Vietnam helicopter pilot who was involved in some sort of tragedy of sorts and then was sort of um, um, discharged dishonorably from the military. Mm. And had a lot of just sort of angst uh, about that, and plus had some PTSD. I could see that going Definitely. going on, and so yeah, and so you know, so it's almost kind of like so it's almost kind of like you know the three pieces are really sort of interesting because you know in the in the first one it's almost sort of like well you're in this weird moment, no one quite really understands what's going on. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you know, and then you jump into the the first film, and it's really again, it's like, well, World War Two has happened, and now we're in the Cold War, and 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 that whole thing going on, and now it's like the thing is almost like it's almost kind of like that post-war sort of you know effect. Mm-hmm. 
but that harkens back to the original story because it really, like you said, it's internalized and it's dealing with identity and the loss of identity, but maybe from a different perspective. Yeah. So it's not really, we're not afraid of communists. We're just maybe afraid of losing our own personal identity to maybe, I don't know what, what's going on here. The, the, the various reasons why all these guys are happy to be out there. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Honestly, it's it's such a, you know, the story as a whole is just so you could you could fit it to any situation, really. You know, if you if you were to set this like in modern day, you know, you you could you could use current events to tell the same story, you know? You could you could have the, the the worries of today would work in just as well as the worries of the eighties, the worries of the fifties, worries of the thirties. You know? It's a very adaptable like like the creature, it's a very adaptable uh storyline. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is interesting. Um, mm-hmm. it, you know, this whole issue, though. You know, I don't know. I, I sort of get. Uh, the, I think I'm not sure if what we really, you know, we throw the word because even earlier we were talking before we started this about mm-hmm. and remakes came up a yeah. little bit. And, you know, and so it really does beg the question, what, what, what do we mean? What are we even talking about when, when we say, when somebody says, you know, well, John Carpenter's 82 film is a remake of, you know, the Howard Hawks 51 film, The Thing from Another World. What do we mean when we say that? Because in, 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 in the sense that I think, how most people think they mean it, they're completely wrong because it's not. Oh, no. It, it's, in, in any way, shape, or form, it's not a remake. I mean, we could go on. We've already said a lot of good reasons. We could go on and name a lot of, uh, actually, a lot of reasons mm-hmm. why it, it, it's it just as, just as the thing from another world departed from the original work, so does John's film depart from Howard Hawks' film. Yeah. And but re- goes back to the to the original work. Yes, and and not without its flaws. I mean, I mean, when you think of the totality of all that's in that story, and you just revisited it, mm. um, you know, one of the things that we don't get well, well, you do get one. I think one line of dialogue in the thing from another world, which is curious, as they don't seem to care about much of. The, the 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 content of that story in terms of Campbell's motives mm. uh, for writing it, um, but it's that whole telepathy, that whole dream controlling you. You know, it, it has yeah. that ability to seep into your dreams and control you. Yeah, and I mean that was one component that you know I don't think there's anything, anything even mentioned in John's movie. No, uh-huh. about that. Yeah, that's not mentioned until Prince of Darkness. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't even really think about it until 
just, you know, when we were talking earlier, the fact that, you know, that that element is in the Who Goes There story and it's in Prince of Darkness. Yeah. You know, another part of his Apocalypse trilogy, so. Well, isn't it, yeah, doesn't that always seem to happen, though, when, you know, directors, if they don't get a chance to apply something that they would like to apply in any given, in a given certain situation, they save it for a rainy day. And yeah. So they, yeah, and then use it in another one. <laughs> I mean, probably, I don't know, he probably felt like they had their, their hands were full enough as it was with just dealing with, you know, that 20, 21, 22-year-old punk boutine trying to pull off the miracle <laughs> of miracles with these special effects and and just yeah. the idea of tackling this shape-shifting quality yeah. um, of this uh, of this thing. But I find it interesting that, you know, sometimes, and I don't know, it's almost kind of like John, it sort of feels like though he's being put on the spot when I don't think he really should feel that way, but when he's sort of cornered about, hey, you know, your movie doesn't have any women in it. Oh, well, I just, I just thought, you know, I thought it would be, uh, I thought it would be a curious thing to, you know, to do something like that. You know, the dynamics of the men dealing with this alien, this alien yeah. thing. But not, when, in fact, all he really has to say is, well, uh, there's no women in, uh, in uh, Campbell's short story, and that's what we were gunning for. Mm. Um. That's one thing also, though, about Campbell's short story, though, that, uh, you know, there's supposed to be 37 people there. Yeah. You know? And I mean, you kind you get that in um, in the Hawks version. You know, there's a lot of people there and everything. But in the Carpenter version, you know, there's only, what, I think there's, is there seven? Um... How many are... Well, no. There's at least one, two... Well, you got McCready, Blair, Childs, Clark, Knowles, Palmer, Copper, Norris, Benning, Scary, Fuchs, Windows, um, of course, the Norwegians. Yeah. Um... Uh, so I mean, so really, you got uh, Windows, yeah. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. So twelve. Yeah. So you know, there's twelve people. Like, uh, you can't help but think, you know, if, if I know he probably didn't have the budget for it, but like, if you'd had thirty-seven people, how much, you know, how much more uh, paranoid? You could have made them. Well, and that's a difficult thing too, though, because even mm. Campbell, even Campbell, only really dealt with half that grouping. Oh yeah, I think he he, they, he talked about about twelve of them, and the rest were just kind of there. Yeah, yeah, or destroyed or taken over by the thing, or yeah. So yeah, that that is that is a difficult thing. But what it's funny that you mentioned that though, because I was just thinking to myself, the one one. I, I well, I I mean, short of it not being um, not owing much of anything to Campbell's work, mm. the thing from another world is an amazing film. Um, oh yeah, and and Hawk and Hawks. I mean, uh, you know, and uh, the whole discussion of who actually really directed it, or you know, I mean, this is sort of your uh, 
your um, Toby Hooper and um, Spielberg poltergeist yeah. Yeah, thing going on. But, uh, I mean, the film does have all the, the trademarks of a Howard Hawks film. I mean... Oh, yeah, his fingerprints are all over it. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's like... I think there's one scene in particular where they're all around the table. Um, and I can't remember. I think it's the... Uh, the the hand of the alien of the of the uh, alien creature that's on the table. Yeah, and I think you got seventeen in frame. I, you you gotta love it. You really do. That is freaking amazing! And every one of them, every one of them is doing something. Yeah, they're either reacting, they're talking, they're 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 responding. There's fate. I mean, they're all part of the scene. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is. Absolutely, I think at most maybe John has all twelve of his principal characters in one scene. Maybe twelve. Yeah. Or he comes darn close to it, and that was one thing that I think he he was trying to um, sort of show off his love for for Hawks and just some of the scenes he pulled off with you know a, a pretty good number in one framing shot. Yeah. Uh, but even he said in the commentary track, when you know that you know seventeen in one shot, that is quite the feat. Yeah. When you consider just that, you have to see everyone, and everyone is you know, and, and you know and that sort of leads also to just how natural the dialogue yeah. was in that yeah. film. I love the, you know, the talking over each other bits. I love the, you know, like you'll hear one conversation going on and another one will come in and you'll still hear a bit of that other, the first conversation still going on, you know, and you got to love it. It feels just real. Yeah. And that, and that may be another thing that John sort of, you know, gleans a little bit is just the naturalism of a lot of the dialogue in the, in his movie. Oh, definitely, yeah. And the humor, too. And one of the things that John mentioned, which really is interesting as well in The uh, in the Thing from Another World, is, is just this, this how they react to what's going on. Oh, yeah. It's like, well, he had Hard Hawks, had, I think had just a couple years earlier done that movie Air Force. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, I think John was saying, like, it, it's almost kind of like the... The idea is 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 the the mentality of an of a uh, of a pilot mm-hmm. under extreme uh you know in, in, a, in under an extreme stressful situation has to be as calm as possible. Mm-hmm. But it's like Hawks takes it way way beyond that. I mean, they're mm-hmm. almost they're almost in a jokeable almost type. You know, in light of what's really happening is pretty horrific. Yeah. But they're all just joking about this and that and, <laughs> you know, and, and it's almost kind of like, you know, it, it's almost kind of like, what world are you in right now? You know, it's like John was saying, like, God, if that were, if I were, if that were happening, I, I would have lost my mind. <laughs> you know, and but that's sort of, you know, I mean, and, and that... That's, that little bit of humor does play over into his movie a little bit in terms of how how they're reacting and stuff. But but they are much more tonally aware of the gravity of their situation. Yeah, I mean, right down to the point of you know, McCready's like, we gotta we gotta bring this whole thing right down to the ice. I mean, we're not living. We're not going to make it out of here. And neither mm-hmm. is Athens. 
Yep. And, yeah. and you never get that in the thing from another world. No, no. no. Also, one thing I wish had been in John Carpenter's version is just that scene from the book where um, you got the guy like uh, like praying and like singing hymns oh, yeah. and everything, and you know someone kills him, and it's very obvi- obvious that it wasn't the thing that killed him. <laughs> you know, it was yeah. it was a person. So throw in yeah. you now, but then it turns out that it was the thing. You know, yeah. essentially the you know the guy that killed him essentially proved that he was human by killing the thing. <laughs> it was just an interesting little yes little take on it, you know. And I thought that was kind of neat, you know, because you get that point and you're like, okay, so this guy has just killed somebody, but at the same time, he's probably the most trustworthy of any of them at this point. Right. And I, mean, I love I love the fact in the book also though that you know they uh they just decided to watch movies. Yeah, yeah. that is. Yeah. I I think I get, I get it. It was like it's like we're going to like calm everything down sort of thing, but at the same time, it probably wasn't the smartest idea. <laughs> well, the testing was going to take like a week, right? I mean, it yeah. was like really long periods of time of them just having to sit there and wait for the, the, um, I mean, it's not to, it's not really to, till you get towards the end of the book where you have the infamous, um, blood test where I think it's Van Nolz who actually delivers the line that McCready delivers in the thing about, um, crawl away from a hot needle, say. Oh, Yeah. What I loved about that scene in the book was just this, because we knew it could read minds, the, and the McCready character is just like, you know, like, essentially, you who are things, you know exactly what I'm going to do, and you know there's nothing you can do about it. I love that. It's like, you know I've come up with a test here, you know it's going to work, and you can do shit. You can't do anything. It's like you either give yourself away and we kill you or we discover what you are and we kill you. Like, you're done. It's it's just a great moment. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, that yeah, that... That would have been interesting. Um, the closest you even get to that in the thing is, um, oh, my God, it's this line cracks me up every time I hear it. It never gets old. When uh, when Blair's like, I'll kill you. Okay. I, I just love it. He shoots, he shoots, guns out of bullets, throw the gun. <laughs> I still think, wouldn't that have been a great scene if when he'd thrown the gun, if he'd hit someone in the head and it had killed them? You know, it's like all this is going on, he's shooting, you know, there's an evil, like, alien at the door, and someone gets hit in the head with a gun and dies. It would it would just be one of those, you know, those perfect scenes. It's just kind of like, really? So, there is a little bit, you know, it's interesting in the thing, 
there is this uh, idea that um, um, we have to we have to do whatever we have to do to make sure this thing doesn't get out. Mm-hmm. And in the book, they go as far as lying, you know, on the radio to yep. make sure no one knows what's happening. Yeah. Because they don't need a rescue team. They don't want a rescue team because they know they have to deal with this situation. Yeah. That is pretty – that almost takes, you know, as heroic as as the uh, decisions are in John's movie, that almost takes a step up, though, man. Yeah. To just see that you're willing to, to go to that length. I mean, and they disable all their vehicles. I mean, they literally – they create a prison for themselves to ensure that – whether they all die or not, they they're not. Um, yeah. What about that scene in the book where they actually tear apart the the creature becoming the thing they without? Oh, yeah. They just yeah jump on it and start ripping yeah. and tearing. I mean, what I liked about that was was like McCready's thing afterwards, like where he's like essentially saying like uh, you know you you like uh, essentially can imitate like like this like ferocity this is built into us yes I I, I kind of really like that scene because I mean that that talks to something that I've always found kind of interesting just about people in general general when you actually look at human history we've been at peace I think it's I think if I, the number was Twenty-eight percent of human history, we've been at peace. So that means the rest of the time we've been at war. So think about that. That that means like we are almost like bred for war, and you see it come across in that scene. You know, this primal like battle lust, if you will, that. When all said and done, all the thing can do is copy. Right. But it's it's built into the human animal, you know. I think that's kind of uh, that's a neat just a neat little part, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's you know. Yeah, I don't know if that really comes into. I don't know if we really, really see that in his movie. We we don't really, and it's, I mean, it's well, well there, is that, there is that curious scene though when what's his name? Um, I was when I was when I was rewatching the thing the other day. There's that whole when McCready and is it Nulls go up to his shack, mm-hmm. and Nulls. We find out cuts him off. Yep. And he finds that um, that that part of his clothing had been stuck in his his furnace thing or whatever. Yep. But just earlier in in the other scene, was it who was it that that comes out there um, and finds it in the snow, um, and then they end uh, up going out there and finding him burned. Um, oh, um. Was that Windows? Uh, no, it wasn't Windows. It was um, Nor- Norris. No, it wasn't Norris. Um, 
or is it Fuchs? Fuchs, yes. It was Fuchs, yeah. It's so Fuchs. so Fuchs, it's when the power goes out. Yeah. And he ends up going out there because he hears something. He goes out there, and he's outside. In fact, geez, I got it on my TV. He's out there right now. <laughs> um, he finds – no, this is the scene that comes out later. Um, but he um, finds the, he finds that same cloth in the snow. Yeah. And then it's sort of like you're, you're just – you get this idea that something's coming, but we're not privy to what that is. Mm-hmm. So that piece of clothing – Whoever ends up showing up there that we don't know who comes in there and then the reason for him either being burned alive or he burns himself alive, but that same piece of cloth ends up at McCready Shack. Yeah. So I just thought that was I don't I guess I never really kind of thought that through before. That's that somebody presumably somebody who was taking over thought that you know to actually try to you know basically frame McCready mm. to get people to turn against him because perhaps maybe as the things are assimilating they're already starting to understand that there is something about him mm-hmm. that he is a real threat to them yeah it's interesting yeah I, I could definitely see that so who is the guy when when uh, the dog walks into the one room at the beginning and all we see that is the shadow on the wall? Who is that? That is um, Norris. I mean, it looks just like Norris. Oh yeah, it's Norris. Yeah. It's the same the same hairstyle you can see in the shadow. So I think yeah. yeah. So that's precisely when he turns. Oh yeah, and the thing is, I th- this is one thing I've always kind of thought, which was kind of interesting. And uh, the point where um, I think uh, Childs brings it up, where when he says, you know, like if I was a perfect imitation, like whatever, like can like would would you be able to tell or whatever, or would I even know? You know, so do you think Norris knew? He was the thing. Well, there's that scene when he is uh, when he's looking out the window, and then suddenly his uh, you just know his insides are are paining him. Yeah, and he sort of hunches over for the moment. You, you kind of wonder, but well, there's even better. There's that scene when um, Palmer gets that look in his face, like. Uh, my time's up. <laughs> yeah, it's because like he knows he knows he's the thing, and he's about to get called out. Oh yeah. So it I, does. I, I I was wonder if if during that scene, if he just kind of put up his hand and be, I'm the thing. But you know what? I'll make a deal with you guys. I'll just kind of go off over here, and like freeze, and just you know. It makes you wonder, like, uh, if there were, had there been some level of communication, could it have changed uh, the ending? I don't know. I don't know. It's 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 interesting. Um, his film, you know, I came across something kind of interesting. Um, though, you know, just thinking about that word remake. Mm-hmm. And um, 
Believe it or not, that word remake is in Webster's 1828. Oh. And there's an interesting, uh, there's an interesting phrase uh, in there. It is simply to, um, to make anew. Mm. But if you look up the word anew in the same dictionary, you find uh, the phrase in a new form. So it's interesting that inherent in that word remake actually really truly is to make something new and not to copy. Yeah. Which is what we often think about when you use or hear the word remake. Our minds immediately go to the idea of you're just copying someone. Yeah. For better or worse, you're copying somebody. I mean, at the worst end of that is uh, is the psycho shot for shot remake. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, um, you know, versus um, something that is, it's, and it's not even really made, it's not even really that his 82 film is made, is in a, in a new form. Well, I guess in comparison to the 51, it's in a new form, but really it's, it's only in a closer form to the original Mm-hmm. Work, yeah. Just not a full realiza- realization of. Yeah, I, w- I wonder. You know, do you think the thing would make a good miniseries? Uh, I don't. I don't know. I I don't. I tend not to really have much of any faith at all in well I'll, I'll tell you where I, no no I'll tell you where it works mm-hmm. I think when you know when when Guillermo del Toro gets excited about the potential for bringing at the mountains of madness mm-hmm. to life but in a in a in a mini series so like it maybe an eight part or however part many parts he's Mm-hmm. do it in for Netflix I think it was the, the company at the time that he was well he, that's what put out Pinocchio right yeah. um, for him and Cabinet of Curiosities and so the thought was maybe that there was he was negotiating um, an opportunity to do um, a, a multi-part series for mm-hmm. that I think I think when you have a director like that and you I, I think I think you know that is when a a series is at its absolute best. Mm-hmm. Because it really is uh it really is a like a theatrical film but just broken down into a few pieces. Yeah. Um and actually one of the th- things that had him excited about the potential of that happening was he wouldn't have to worry about, you know, stockpiling big actors. Mm-hmm. He could just focus on the story. Yeah. And what drives the story. And so, I mean, so from that point of view, if you were going to revisit the Campbell's work and really pull it out and say a four to five, six, whatever piece, you know, mm-hmm multi-part, you know, you know, series or whatever for someone. 
I think, you know, I think it could be really, really, really super intriguing. I think the problem is like making it into a, a freaking TV show. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, it's like, you know, when you, when you start talking Halloween on TV, it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm tuning out. Yeah. But I'm not necessarily tuning out, ironically, at the thought of what Peacock might come up with for the Friday the 13th. Mm-hmm. But I think the difference there is you're going back into the 50s, from my understanding, you're going back into the 50s and you're really sort of telling a story that really hasn't been told before, except for in, you know, dialogue and stuff. Mm-hmm. I, you know, things people say, you know, oh, wow, well, back in the 50s, you know, this happened and that happened and the camp closed and whatever. Yeah. But we don't see it. Yeah. So that, that's, that's but, so again, but again, the problem is how long can you stretch something like that out for? I mean, that's true. I mean as brilliant as Hannibal was, and that was brilliant, it only mm-hmm. went three seasons? Yeah, three seasons, I think. And, that, and, and the only reason it probably even went three seasons is because it pretty much soaked up that trilogy of books, right? Um, It, it got up to Red Dragon. Yeah. Yeah, you know... um. You know, it's 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 you know, it's interesting. So I mean, if John wasn't ninety, yeah, and and although I don't think he would want to, but I mean, um, somebody really wanted to give that novel a, a new crack and and try to do something with it. I think that would be the best. Yeah. Way way to do it. I don't know. Um, it's funny, though, when you think about, and we've mentioned uh, Botine's um, work and stuff, but it's, I came across, I came across, you're going to love this quote, man. I came across, uh, you'll never believe how uh, Christian Naibi, right, mm-hmm. who, for all intents and purposes, I, I mean, I don't mean this negatively or anything, but I mean, really, it, 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 how much of a uh, how much of the directing did he really do on this film? We'll never really know. Mm. But he apparently saw the '82 film. Yeah, and his comment was, "You're gonna love this." Um, he said, um, "If you want blood, go to the slaughterhouse." All in all, it's a terrific uh, commercial for JB. <laughs> that was his uh, Christian Ivy's uh, comment. And, and did you know he did a lot of TV? But you know what was the show he did the most work for? I think. What? You're gonna laugh. Bonanza. <laughs> so apparently, Christian Ivy found a home, and that was um, on the ranch there at Bonanza. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, like, yeah, if you want blood, go to the slaughterhouse. Um, so apparently he wasn't too keen on the um, effects. Yeah. But I mean, like, when you're considering the nature of the original work, you have to consider that. Yeah. I mean, how do you do it? I mean, it, it, you know, I'm curious. Like, if, okay, so say Howard Hawks, it's not really his film, but I mean, in in, in the sense of, I can't see Howard Hawks actually really turning W or, or Campbell's work into a film. Yeah. It's just, that's just not what he's into. But um, if he had, 
gone that route. Mm-hmm. How do you deal with with the shape shifting quality, or do you just lean really heavy into the telepathic quality of the thing? Uh, all all I could think is would it would be like uh, maybe more everything would happen off camera. You know, like uh, it would happen in the dark. So you'd never actually see it happening. But at the same point, that would sort of defeat the object. I mean, what's the closest thing we have to that time period? I mean, you do have the invasion of the body snatchers. Yeah. And and that's pretty effective for what it for what it yeah. does. Yeah. So I guess it's possible you could have you could have done something, but the easy way out is to go the course that he went. Yeah. <laughs> and make his movie, and that really is his movie. Oh yeah. Um, and it's, I mean, it's great. It's, it's for what it is. And it's, it's, I mean, it's got to be one of the greatest science fiction pieces of, of its period. It's just not, it's not who goes there. Exactly. I mean, so, so if you say that, if you say, if you say the Howard Hawks film is not who goes there, I mean, Campbell himself said, it's not my story. Yeah. What would Campbell say of John's? Story. I think he'd say that's his story. So, I, I think he'd say that's like a, a, a Cliff Notes version of his story. So, is it fair to Campbell to even refer to John's movie as a remake? Uh, maybe not. I mean, maybe like it's it's more apt to say it's like the first real adaptation of it. Yeah. I can't even I can't even I can't even see how you even refer to the thing from another world as an adaptation of John W. Campbell's work. Yeah, all all it really is is like I said, the bones of the story, the basics, no. you know, uh we found an alien in the ice and woke it up. It yeah, took, they took that basic thing. You know, it's interesting. It's in in the original piece. The, it's what twenty million years, right? Yeah, and I think in the thing from another world, isn't it like twenty million years or something? I think so. Yeah, but then you get to John's movie, and it's like what a hundred thousand years, something like that. <laughs> I, I always was intrigued by that. I mean, like I, I thought that was kind of interesting how we just sort of like dismissed the millions in favor of well it's really only been in there probably I can't even remember what he says when they're at the at crater area is it 10,000 yeah. or is it 100,000 I think 100,000 maybe um, but it's funny how that was changed it is so John sort of diverted away from that idea um, but he wasn't opposed to not having um any woman in, in his film. Mm-hmm. Although I have heard that there was a possibility of there being a, a girl in there, but something happened or something that kept her from actually being part of the project. I can't mm-hmm. remember what it was. If she was pregnant or something, I don't know. Something. something. 
but <laughs> it is it is an absolutely fantastic film to go that route. But but for the same reason, Hawks' film is brilliant for Margaret Sheridan's yeah. character. Yeah, I mean she's such a an important piece of um um that that story um and Kenneth Toby's character definitely is interesting. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know. I was just kind of looking at all my notes, wondering if there was anything else I forgot to. Um, oh, yeah. John did say something in the commentary that was pretty funny. Uh, mm-hmm. He referred to the creature of, in, in the thing from another world. He referred to the creature as a blood-drinking carrot. <laughs> well, yeah, that's kind of true. <laughs> blood-drinking carrot. Gotta love it. But he did He did mention, though, that uh, apparently James Arness... Um, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, sort of disavowed the um, his role in that movie, mm. and which is which is John says is really kind of too bad because he 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 does the part brilliantly. He's oh yeah, I mean, you know, I mean like how how can you know you know you, the amount of menace that he shows for the short time that he's on screen. He seems like a genuine threat. Yeah, and it's interesting that um, the one, the one, the one very horrific moment in that movie mm-hmm. is one of the very first times that you get to see a full body burn in a movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, and that's a damn good body burn. It is, it is. And you're really kind of taking your life into your own hands. I mean, especially back then. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't think they had the cold gels or anything like they do now. And that is awesome, though, how they work the camera on that. Because, like, in that scene, right before he comes in there, Mm -hmm. the, the camera actually moves from their room through the doorway into the other room. Mm hmm. Of the of what's happening in there, and then it pulls back into the room without ever, you know, without the shot being ended. Yeah. And then, of course, the lights dim, and then boom, the door opens up, and you know, it's funny. John says, you know, why the hell didn't he tell uh, Nikki to get the, get out of there? He just yeah. put the, the mattress. Here, here you go. Hold that. Hold hold that. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh, that is, um, I don't know. Is there anything else we can say about? I mean, well, well tell, tell me this. What do you think the thing actually is? Was it the pilot of the ship? Was it the prisoner on the ship? What was it? What do you think? Well, it's kind of hard. It's kind of hard to envision a creature that looks the way it does in terms of how we see it in the ice in the original story, mm-hmm. piloting a ship. Yeah. But then again, it is, it is another life form that operates by, assumably, different laws. Mm-hmm. And it's just weird. It's weird. It's weird when you try to connect up things like that with technology that is seemingly not that far off from ours. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I was, was no, I've heard, 
I mean, I have, I've heard it said both ways that, you know, maybe it was, maybe the thing was um, a passenger of sorts being carried and, and gets loose and then assimilates the ship. And I had a thought about it and um, I was just thinking about this earlier today and uh, just tell, tell me what you think of this, uh, this plot device, if you will. When you think of the nature of the thing, like how it copies cells and everything, we have something that does that already in real life. Those are stem cells. You put stem cells near like a liver, but it'll become another liver, you know? So my thought was, what if the thing was originally a medical device almost what if like it was a biological treatment if you say say like an, an alien, one of these aliens or whatever um, broke off an arm or something you know you would put these cells into it and it would grow a new arm you know it would replicate what was already there so you take that idea what would happen if one of these aliens had had a brain injury? So they put it into, in, into the brain to heal up the brain. But as a result, it gains a level of sentience. And then starts, it's like, well, I've essentially been, it starts to want to survive on its own. So it takes over everyone there. I mean, it, it would it would explain its ability to copy things. It would also explain why it's essentially reacting on instinct. I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting. I've, I've I mean, always. Kind of Go on. And I was going to say, I've, I've always kind of imagined that maybe um, when that ship crashed into Earth, something something that wasn't maybe necessarily meant to be unleashed got unleashed, mm -hmm. and it and it and infected the life forms on the ship first. Yeah. And as they're struggling to flee the ship, not maybe understanding or realizing or maybe realizing what in fact has happened to them, it's too late. Mm. And But maybe they figure, well, all this is is a barren winter wasteland anyways. Nothing's, I mean, you yeah. know. But I mean, you kind of think about Alien in 79, you know, mm -hmm. that whole idea of something, something, at least if you just think about the very first film and no other movie. Mm. You know, here you have this uh, this um, uh, derelict craft that's crashed on this planet, and as a result, you know th this cargo gets unleashed, and the pilot is is infected, mm -hmm. and there it sits, and yeah. you know, and then you can you know, and it's like John says in the commentary, you know, his idea initially at the beginning was, you know, perhaps this cargo ship was this uh, was a, a military vehicle 
uh, that was going to drop a payload on someone. Yeah. But something happened. One of these mm-hmm. things got out, got unleashed, and then just wrecked havoc on the ship, causing it to crash on this barren moon, lifeless moon of a planet. Mm. And I wonder if something somewhat similar, you know, happened in this case where it was on its way somewhere, maybe not necessarily Earth, but something happened and, and caused it to crash and then boom. Could be, yeah. 20, 20 million years later or 100,000 years later, whichever <laughs> you want, it's discovered and to the detriment of, possibly the detriment of human civilization. You know, it's 27,000 hours, I think, works out to almost just three years. About that, yeah. So about three years, the world would be gone. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> Which is it's kind of funny. I don't know why. I just thought about that interesting twist at the end of... um. Um, Planet of the Vampires mm-hmm. where their whole intention you find out at the end their whole intention wasn't even to go to Earth it was to go to their own planet but as a result of that numbskull they have no choice but to land on Earth <laughs> yeah I tell you, what a twist at the end oh yeah so you know you know that just, just cracks me up because I always forget about it yeah it, Every time I put that movie in, I always forget about that one scene, you know, that, that realization, you know, when they're like, well, doesn't look like we're going to make it home now, but here's a planet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for screwing that, that one, guy. <laughs> Golly. Um I don't know. It's interesting that the whole. See, I wonder exactly what is in frozen hell that might explain any of this, if anything. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, um, I know it's pushed. It pushed it up to like a full length novel. So I know it's free. You can get it. Oh no, I'm sorry. It's, you can um, get instant access to it for like six ninety nine. I think through. Whatever that thing um, e is it e what is it ebooks or something yeah 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 um, or you can get it for free with ads or whatever how that works <laughs> but there's no paperback right now it must have sold out wow yeah I mean because I actually priced it out I was going to price it out before we did this thing tonight and then, um but it, yeah it's I didn't see it in there anywhere but I saw the where you could for six ninety nine get it. An ebook. <laughs> I just I have such a hard time reading things like that. Yeah, ebooks are n- nothing will beat a good paperback or hardback. Just won't. So John, he copies. <laughs> that's funny. Uh, he um um ass- basically assimilates um Campbell's characters' names. I thought that's interesting. Yeah, definitely. But he I changes. Like, well, I was just gonna say he changes their he changes their occupations. Yeah. A bit. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you made uh, McCready essentially wasn't he like a weather forecast guy yeah, or something? Like a meteorologist. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, with with a, a beginning of like a, a medical doctorate or whatever. Right. 
which was kind of funny as they talk about this this giant of a man, you know, with his red beard and his hair and everything. They constantly refer to him as a bronze statue. <laughs> and this guy is a meteorologist. Yeah. I, it's funny, though, when you look at um, what when you, well, I guess maybe, I don't know. I, I wonder how, if you've never seen the thing. Mm-hmm. Imagine that. If you've never seen the thing, but you just picked up who goes there one day and read it. Mm. I wonder how you would envision some of these characters. Like, I mean, I read it now and I can't help it. I mean, Blair is Blair and McCready is McCready. And exactly. <laughs> I don't know what I do about, like, Van Nalls and stuff. I think I just do my best to make up something in my head. But it, it's hard not to put, you know... Oh yeah, well, well, there's such a like, and I, what's the word I'm looking for? Like they have become those characters in my mind, at least, you know. It is, yeah. You know, I wonder what the, the deal is on um, if he is going to actually helm a sequel or not helm a sequel. I don't know. I would like to see it, but at the same time, I kind of just want them, want them to leave it alone. Yeah. You know? I mean, we pretty much have, we pretty much have everything you really do need. I mean, you've got, you've got, you know, for, for, for its time period, you have a wonderful 50s science fiction film. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you've got a pretty serious attempt to revisit the source material in the '82, and even in the midst of all of its well, um, its flaws as a result of studio interference, you've got an interesting sort of forensic approach to how did we get here approach, yeah. um, which is you know in- interesting that it all takes place in the Norwegian camp. Yeah. As it should have. But I almost wonder, I just, I don't know. I almost wonder what that film could have been had they just gone, you know, I don't know. If they would have really worked hard to incorporate elements of that short story that have not really been tapped into. Oh, definitely. I, I still just wish that the 2011 version had all been in Norwegian. Yes, with a full Norwegian cast, no American cast. Yeah, no Americans. Honestly, get the woman out of there. Subtitled. Subtitled, yeah. Um, and 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 maybe even have. I mean, I'm not saying 37 people, but I mean, have a bit of a larger. Yeah. And really, maybe a re, maybe a a a, a, a sort of kind of. Um, vision of the original book, but one that acts as though it will lead us to the doorstep of John's movie. Yeah. That, that, that would work perfectly, I think. Yeah, too, <laughs> too, well, I mean, that's sort of what I've always sort of argued, you know, is what they really should have done with Leatherface. Yeah. 
you know, use TCM2 as its template, and you would have much easier arrived at the doorstep of the 74 film. Yeah. With a few surprises along the way. Yeah. Like a mad grandmother welding a chainsaw or something. I mean, when you see that, when you see her sitting up there in that throne, yeah, that just begs so much. I mean, it's like, I've got to have that story. What is that story? No one talks about that. No, no, they don't. That is like the one piece of the entire franchise that's never talked about. Yeah. It's too bad because they had the, – that guy who played Grandpa in Leatherface that gets an alternative beginning and an alternative end, mm-hmm. mostly. You know, I mean, if they would have uh, casted – you know, could you imagine if him and Grandma would have been a little bit more at the center of the story? Mm, that, that would have been awesome. It would have been awesome. How hard – I don't understand. I don't <laughs> – I don't – how hard is it? Really? Is it that hard? <laughs> I don't understand. That, that's such potential. Yep, for sure. And just people, just, I don't know. I, I would like to know what the story behind that was, though. I, I like to think it wasn't their fault. Like, they just severely got interfered with to the point of... Could be. I mean, they filmed this, uh, you know some of these things that are intriguing, that beg... Mm-hmm you know, to be expounded on or yep. expanded on. Um, <laughs> but I, I don't know. I always saw Graham up there and that throw was something else. But um, there's a lot of things in the thing too that, especially in that short story, that just begged to, like that, like you said earlier, I loved it when you brought up the guy who just is is singing hymns. I think the yeah. book says, the book says, singing hymns to a God it hated. That oh, is an intriguing line. Yeah, that that was that that was so, such a good line. What's that all about? <laughs> so what's the implication of that? That 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 <laughs> these creatures or or are some sort of damned beings that <laughs> like castled up? I don't know. It's just I just I always get tripped up on that when I see that line. Yeah. It's, yeah. Maybe it's covered more in the in, in the full length. I don't know. One of us eventually have to read this thing at some point. Oh, definitely. So, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, so so what have we done? As I'm sure we're just starting to wrap up and be done. What have we done? We've covered the book. We've covered. The fifty one we've covered the remake. Well, not well, you know John's re remake, and uh, we've touched a bit on the twenty eleven. But honestly, the most that you, the less, the least that you talk about that, the better. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. People really need to. Well, a couple of things they need. They really do need to read the original short story. Definitely. We, we you know what we need a new a new uh, a new version of that like a new edition put it out for for everyone to read you know I new doubt printing. it's really hard to get a copy I mean mine is in hardback cover yeah but it's like a collection of his great his greatest stories yeah 
which I've never read any of them except for, <laughs> except for who goes there. <laughs> I think I think one of them is called Blindness. <sighs> but I really probably should because everything I've been reading about him or seeing about him almost kind of a shame I haven't read the other ones. Yeah. But it is and it's an interesting um it's an interesting story to think about. It really is. <laughs> uh, any last parting uh no, not really. I'm pretty much said everything. By the way, the Palmer sequence is playing out right now. Oh, nice. That might be my favorite special effects sequence in the entire. Oh yeah. When he literally just flies from the floor up to the ceiling. Yeah. And then and then was it Windows is just sort of stunned there in horror. Yeah. And then he just falls back down and then he's just like he's almost like staring up at him like like what's her name in zombie. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Just frozen in fright, man. You just there's nothing you can do. Even though everyone is screaming at you. Yeah. You just can't do you can't do it. That's scary. It is. I mean it really is. On that note. Yeah. So where can we so, find you? I'm sure everyone already knows. Oh, yeah. You can find me uh, on YouTube at uh, BDG Reviews as well as uh, the Monday night host of uh, Body Bags, um, as well as here on the Graveyard Shit Podcast. VHS82 uh, Apostrophe, my YouTube channel, um, and um, I am the Wednesday reviewer at Body Bags. And now I guess I am a member here. Oh, yeah. And you got Letterboxd too, right? I I think so. I very rarely oh. update it or anything. So I have yeah. Letterboxd. And I think it's pretty much the same as my YouTube thing. I'm pretty sure it's like VHS82 or something like that. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so that is our show. Hopefully everyone enjoyed it. Um, you know, watch more good movies. Just saying. <laughs> watch the skies. There you go, watch the skies. So yeah, uh, that's it. We will see you next time. See ya. Farewell and adieu to you fair Spanish ladies. Farewell and adieu, you ladies of Spain. For we've received orders for to sail back to Boston. And so never more shall we see you again. <laughs>